So we've been talking about how can we fix Clarksburg. There's a lot of opinions out there about what we can do. We can uh, increase and make, make the city more attractive to business owners. We can increase the level of support for the police. We can uh, put an emphasis on education. I personally think that a really big Ferris wheel would probably solve most of our problems, right? The last few weeks we've been asking this question though, how do we fix the problems that Clarksburg has? We can't. And we can change things and things can get better for a little while, but ultimately it is a people problem. Our priorities, our desires, and our focuses naturally tend towards ourselves. We are selfish people. And there's only one real long-term fix for people, and that is Jesus. And we've been talking about four truths that push the gospel down into our hearts. Not just in our heads, but push down into our hearts. Read these out here with me. The first two. You ready? In Christ... There is nothing that I can do to make God love me anymore and nothing I have done that would make God love me any less. Number two, God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. You need to know where you find your identity. Now, once we begin to see a clearer picture of how God sees us, it begins to make the temptations of this world so much less enticing. See, the gospel changes us. It's not just this thing that we learn and we get past. It changes us. The power is the gospel. Now, if you ask the little white church on a hill somewhere how the gospel changes us, you might get answers like, well... We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls that do, right? That's how the gospel changes us. Or a real Christian man ought not have long hair and ought not have an earring. That's what makes us different. That's what sets us apart. Or a, a, a real Christian woman ought not wear britches, right? This, this, we get so many different answers about how the gospel makes us different. But is that really what the gospel is? is now you're one of us, and now here's a set of rules and regulations to follow so that you look like one of us. Is that how the gospel changes us? No. But if that's not it, if that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about transformation and being renewed, then what is it talking about? What do we mean? Well, that brings us here to the third truth. As God has been with me so I will be with others. As God has been with me, so I will be with others. This is how the gospel changes us. See, it's impossible to really experience the gospel without being transformed by it. And God's point in saving you is not just fire insurance. He made you to be someone that you can't be on your own. He made you to be someone that you can't be on your own. And he wants to help you get there. Kindness, generosity, humility, compassion. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his 
workmanship created for Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works. And God has some things that he wants you to do. He has a plan for your life, and he has some things that he wants you to live out. See, when we see the kindness of the Savior, it should motivate us to show that kindness to others. When we see how generous our God is with his blessings towards us, it should push us to be generous towards those around us. When we look at how Jesus humbled himself so much that he left the throne room of heaven heaven to come down and to be mocked and spit on and crucified for you. When we see that, that motivates you to be humble when someone else wrongs you. When we look at how much the love of God chases us down with his compassion, it should speak to us and it should spark compassion in us for those people that the world sees as lost causes. As God has been with me, so I will be with others. I'm not going to write people off. I'm not going to give them what they deserve. I'm not going to give up on them. Why? Because God didn't write me off. God didn't give me what I deserved. And God did not give up on me. As God has been to me, so I will be with others. J.D. Greer gives the example of Jean Valjean from Les Miserables. (laughs) I practice that pronunciation a lot. But Valjean is a hard criminal who had just been paroled from a labor camp in France. And he stumbles alone late one night to the home of a priest who invites him in and offers him food and shelter for the night. But that night, Valjean steals all the silverware in the priest's home. And the priest, hearing the commotion in his house, he gets up to investigate, and Valjean punches him right in the face and knocks him out. And he then leaves with that stolen silver. Early the next morning, the police drag Valjean back to the home of the priest. And the policeman mockingly says, he told us that you gave him all this silverware. Being a paroled prisoner, all the priest had to do was confirm that Valjean stole the silverware and Valjean would go back to prison, but this time for life. The priest, his face still bruised and bloodied from the night before, looks at Valjean and he says, why, yes, I did give him that silver. I'm very angry with you, Valjean, because you forgot the candlesticks. They're worth almost 2,000 francs. The guard releases Valjean And they leave. Valjean is dumbfounded by this turn of events. He knew the priest knew he stole the silver. And Valjean, he he knew that he did it. And yet the priest vouched for the convict. And he shoved even more wealth into his sack. The priest explained to Valjean. He said, now don't you forget it. Don't you ever forget it. You've promised to become a new man, Jean Valjean, my brother. You no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. And the rest of the story is all about how Jean Valjean becomes this new man. The mercy of the priest transformed him from a criminal to a patient, kind, generous man who cared for the poor and the orphan. 
a recipient of great mercy, had become a giver of mercy. Now, obviously, the gospel is so much more than just what the priest did. But the illustration rings true that if you are constantly aware of the mercy that you have been shown, you will desire to show that mercy to others as well. But see, sadly, many of us have forgotten where God has brought us from. There was a man in the gospel account of Matthew that did the same thing. If you turn to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at this story. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debts. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. A man owed a king several million dollars in today's currency. And the king realized that this man could not pay. So the king was going to sell his whole family into slavery to pay back that debt. Well, the man begged the king, and for some miraculous reason, the king had compassion on that man, and instead he forgave him that millions of dollars of debt that he had. Can you believe that? Can you imagine the weight off your shoulder, the pressure of having millions and millions of dollars in debt, and then getting it all forgiven? So that man was forgiven, and he begins to walk home, and he sees a man that owes him three dollars. The man, forgiven of millions, grabs that man that owes him $3 by the throat and takes him to debtor's prison. Well, the king hears about this and says, hey, look, forget what I said about forgiving you. And he throws that man that owed him millions into jail. Now, this is an insane story, right? This man is the biggest moron in the world, right? He gets forgiven millions and he holds someone accountable for $3. Even Ebenezer Scrooge learned. Uh, even, even Ebenezer Scrooge learned his lesson and gave Cratchit Christmas Day off and a goose. Right? But this man's story is so ridiculous. But it is just as ridiculous when you won't forgive someone for lying to you 
when you have been forgiven hundreds of lies. It's just as ridiculous when you won't forgive someone for gossiping about you when God has forgiven you of years worth of gossip. A recipient of great mercy should become a giver of mercy. If you struggle with forgiveness and generosity and compassion, it's because you clearly don't understand the gospel or you have hardened your heart to its beauty. See, the reason you and your wife are fighting is because you believe that you do more and you deserve more and she has hurt you way worse in the long run. The reason you want to quit your job is because you don't deserve to be treated that way. The reason you have trouble keeping friends is because you're the one that always has to go the extra mile for everyone else and people won't even meet you halfway. Ah, but what you're missing is that people that understand the gospel become like the gospel. Every wrong that someone does toward you is an opportunity to reenact what Jesus did for you. Every wrong someone does towards you is an opportunity to reenact what Jesus did for you. When your husband snaps at you, you can snap back or you can say, Jesus forgave me of my anger, so I'm going to be gentle with you. When someone else gets the credit at work for an idea that you had, you can say, I don't need the credit because Jesus didn't seek position or fame. Instead, he humbled himself and suffered on the cross in my place. See, Paul's experience with the gospel pushed him to believe that he was the chiefest of sinners. But when we take our eyes off the gospel and begin to look around and believe that some people are worse and lower down in the spiritual ladder than we are, that's when we get off track. And when we do that, it breeds all types of sin in us. Pride and arrogance and a critical and judgmental spirit where you point out everyone else's wrongs because you think you know better. But see, the gospel reminds us that we are just desperately wicked sinners that are more loved than we can ever imagine. And as God has been to me, so I will be to others. A recipient of great mercy becomes a giver of great mercy. See, this is the kind of radical behavior that can change Clarksburg. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I remember my mom referencing these verses whenever I felt like I was being treated unfairly. She talked about heaping burning coals on people's head, which sounds very violent, but it's not. It's a picture, a word picture. It's not my job to get even. It's my job to treat people like Jesus Christ treats me. And when we help our enemies, it's going to confuse them so much. When you feed your hungry enemy, it's going to make no sense to them. It's going to confuse them so much that it will bother them. But see, too many of us are eye for an eye people. 
And as the saying goes, an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. But instead of trying to fight evil with more evil, God commands us to fight evil with good. And when we return good for evil, it may just burn people up so bad that they realize that they are really just being jerks. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. See, we know the Bible tells us to turn the other cheek, but most of us, when we see that, we're like, I don't want to get hit in the face once, let alone twice. But the cheek is a symbol of relationship in Jewish culture. You would greet each other with a kiss on the cheek as a sign of peace and fellowship. So offering up your cheek again means that you're offering up a relationship again to someone that has hurt you. And that means when we are hurt, we don't seek to hurt those that hurt us, but offer up reconciliation for the relationship. Now, that doesn't mean we let people continually sin against us without confronting them. But that does mean that we are aggressively graceful towards them because God is aggressively graceful towards us. Oh, but my boss... My wife, my neighbor, they don't deserve grace. You don't understand how they have hurt me, but that is the whole point. You didn't deserve grace when Jesus saved you either. And every wrong that you have uh, had done towards you is an opportunity to reenact what Jesus has done for you. I'm so glad that Jesus kept extending grace and extending grace and keeps extending grace to me this even to this day. What if we took an inventory every time you were sinned against and reminded yourself of the times when you have hurt others, but God forgave you? It's hard to stay on your high horse and on your pedestal when you really remember who you are. J.D. Greer says, the clearest mark of God's grace in your life is a generous spirit towards others. God as, as you have been with me, so I will be to others. This is what Clarksburg and Harrison County needs. Some people that will say, Jesus has blessed me and I'm going to find and search for ways to bless others. I have been shown grace, so I'm going to show grace. Very heads bowed and eyes closed as the band comes. This is a very convicting message for me because I know often I like to think that I'm not that type of person or I don't struggle with that thing that that other person struggles with or that I've got better theology or I've got better standards or I've got better morals and more integrity and I begin to talk myself up so much And before long, I'm, my head's the size of a basketball, and I've got a critical spirit towards everyone around me, and when I look at people, all I see is their flaws, all I see is the wrong things that they do, the one word that they get wrong, and I begin to look at people like they are the mistakes that they made, instead of like 
the fact that they are sinners that are saved by grace just like I am. See, once we begin to realize what God has done for us, then we must view the world as a place that God has done that over and over and over again for everyone around me. And the more I see how God loves me, the more I see how I must love those around me and forgive those around me. This morning, let's search our hearts as we pray and look for bitterness and look for an unforgiving spirit. Look for the people that we have written off We don't like them. They're not my type of people. And ask ourselves that question. Am I treating them like God has treated me? This isn't a one-time event in our lives. At least if you're anything like me, you've got to constantly, constantly correct your attitude towards people. Altars open this morning as we play. Maybe you need to go to someone in this room and say, hey, I haven't treated you like Christ has treated me. Maybe you need to leave and go call someone and say, hey, look, I've treated you wrongly. Maybe you need to text someone and say, hey, you, you don't deserve the attitude that I've given you. You deserve grace because that's what's been given to me. You don't understand the freedom that comes from releasing the things that you have against everyone else. Well, they don't deserve to get away with that. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. If God's got something to handle with somebody, you let him handle it. You just forgive over and over and over and over again. How many times should I forgive? 70 times 7. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Let's search our heart right now.